Amen. Thank you for that sweet, special music. All right. Uh, the fans, uh, how are they doing there? Are they a little too breezy for anyone? Yeah, turn them down, would you please, Pastor Devian? Thank you very much. All right. Would you open your Bible, please, to the Old Testament book of First Samuel? See if you can find that. First Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17. In just a minute, I'm going to get you to stand and we're going to read scripture together. It's always good to bring your Bible, a real Bible, to church, to a real church. How about that? To listen to a real sermon. Everyone loves uh, exciting stories. That's why Hollywood does such big business and so does Disney. Exciting stories are exciting. And the Bible has got a lot of exciting stories, thrilling stories of victory. And one of the favorite stories, and it's certainly one of my favorites too, is the story of David and Goliath. Is definitely a favorite because here you've got the little guy against the big guy, right? And so um, we're going to read together just the first four verses. Would you stand with me, please? And we'll begin on uh, chapter 17, verse 1. Now, there's a couple of uh, strange names here. So we'll, we'll slow it down a little as we do the pronunciations. So everyone... Everyone gets through it. And we're going to read the first four verses. All right, let's read now together. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah and pitched between Shoko and Ezekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. You may be seated. Well, here we have Goliath and uh, Goliath's name means splendor. That's what it, not splenda. That's the stuff you, uh, you eat out of the little packages, but splendor. Goliath was a man of war is what he was. He was very impressive. He was huge. He was heavy. If you can imagine how heavy this nine and a half foot tall guy would be, he was heavily armored. He was glittering. He was a champion of the Philistines. Now, what I'm going to do tonight in this message is I'm going to make some comparisons because I'm going to sort of use the story uh, to illustrate a truth. Now, bear in mind that all the events that take place in this chapter are real events of a real happening. It actually happened. It's a real true-to-life story. I'm not saying that these are um, figurative uh, metaphors and there was no such thing as uh, Goliath. He just represented this and David and so on. No, I don't believe that. Some people talk that way about Adam and Eve. Oh, there was no such. They say it just represents. No, no, there was an Adam. There was an Eve. You say, how do we know? Well, all we got to do is look at you. That's, that's how we know because uh, you're kind of their offspring and it all goes back to one uh, father and one mother, Adam and Eve. So um, 
I'm going to make some comparisons tonight for the purpose of the message. And I'm going to let Goliath represent the devil and uh, an enraged world, maybe even an enraged world on COVID-19. Anyhow, seeking to destroy all that is good. That's what Goliath is going to represent. Okay. The big bad guy who's trying to destroy what is good. Then we come to David and the name David means beloved. That's what the name means. And David, of course, is the hero of our story. He's experienced not with war, not with wearing armor. He's experienced as a shepherd. That's his experience and, and a slingshot. Sheep and a slingshot, I guess. David at this point was an unknown teenager. However, he had the anointing of Almighty God upon him. And folks, that's what makes the difference. You don't have to be something highfalutin. You just need the anointing of God on your life. That is what makes a difference. And it turns night into day. And it turns death into life. And it, it turns useless into useful. And it turns boring into exciting having the anointing of God on your life. And so David here is going to represent in our story, the Christian with a strong faith in God, trying to do the will of God, trying to do what is right. So with that in mind, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get into our story. Our loving father, we thank you again for this marvelous Bible. What an incredible book. No book like it. Wow. All of the great religious books pale in comparison to the Bible, the 66 books, the word of God. Thank you that we have it tonight. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, all of us here in the church auditorium and all those who are watching over the internet tonight. And dear Lord, we thank you for everyone watching. And there may be someone watching who's not really connected with our church. Maybe they were invited to watch or maybe they found us somehow. Lord, I pray that you would enrich their heart and that you would touch and speak to them the truth of the word of God. Now, Lord, have thine own way. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, we've got uh, the story here as it's set before us in chapter 17 and the first four verses. Now, it says here in verse 1 that um, the Philistines gathered their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko. Shoko. You know where Shoko is? Let's find out. Do you have that picture, that map? All righty. Let's see if this guy works here. There we go. This is the map of Israel. Now, the names up there are perhaps a little hard for you to see from where you're sitting. But uh, this right here is Shoko. Okay, there's the Mediterranean Sea over there. And uh, look over here is Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And so um, you can see on this map here. Uh, here's the Dead Sea. Can you see that or am I in your way? Can you see it all right? Okay, here's the Dead Sea, Jordan River, Sea of Galilee. It gives you an idea. Directly to the left off the top of uh, the Dead Sea is Jerusalem. Not far from Jerusalem is Bethlehem. Not far from Bethlehem is Shoko. So now you know where we are? It makes it a little easier, doesn't it? Isn't it true that it makes it nicer when you <clears throat> when you know where things are on the map. <clears throat> That's why I love to study the word of God using the maps in the back of the Bible. If your Bible doesn't have maps in the back, maybe you should get a, either a, a Bible uh, map or a, 
uh, a Bible that has maps in the back. You can get books that have, you know, a lot of uh, in-depth pictures there. Well, anyhow, we've got the story. The battle is set here in this area. Now, we're going to sort of summarize a wee bit, but let's go down to verse 8. Here's Goliath. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine? And ye servants to Saul, that's King Saul, the king of Israel at that time, choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. You know, I imagine, I'm only guessing this, but I imagine that nine, nine foot, six inch tall Goliath, who probably weighed in the neighborhood of 500 pounds at least, maybe more, maybe 600 pounds. I kind of think he had a, a deep voice. I don't think he had one of these little voices way up, way up here. I think that he had some kind of deep, booming voice. Choose your man for you. You get the idea? So you hear that in your head as, you, as I read, you see. Let him come down to me. Uh, if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines, the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And we'll just cut down right down to verse 32. Enter David. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Did you know that for every situation, God has a man? Did you know that? God has a, always had a man for every situation. When the entire world was as wicked, as wicked, as wicked could be, God had a man named Noah to build an ark. When the time was right for God to build a nation of people for himself, later to be called the Israelites, God had a man. His name was Abraham. When in bitter bondage, the Israelites cried unto God in Egypt. God had a man. His name was Moses. Later in the wilderness, when Moses could not enter the promised land to lead the children to victory, God had a man. And his name was Joshua. In fact, as I read throughout the entire Old Testament, when the Israelites cried out to God, God always seemed to have a man that would be there to help. What about your situation today? Where you live and where you work. What about your situation? Are you encountering times of difficulty? Perhaps at home. Or perhaps at the workplace. Or maybe somewhere else where you're involved. I wonder if maybe God wants to use you. As the man or the woman. To bring about a victory. Well. In verse 40. We find that. Uh, David goes down to the brook here. He took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones. See that there? Five smooth stones. Okay, why would David choose smooth stones? Why wouldn't he get old, jagged, rugged things if he's going to fight? Why, why the smooth? Well, apparently, because they fly out of the sling better. They fly through the air. They're more aerodynamic. Now, I guess you've got to be a slinger to know this. 
but you can sling a smooth stone further than you can sling a rough, jagged stone. Interesting. Someone says, well, why five? Why didn't he get 50? 50 stones. Well, if each stone weighed a pound, 50 pounds for a teenage boy to have to carry around, drag this thing, trying to run away or maneuver around the Goliath, it'd be kind of difficult. So he chose five. That way he's quick and nimble. Well, why did he need five? Why did he choose five? All he needed was one. Well, maybe he didn't know. There's your answer there. Maybe he wasn't sure. Maybe he thought it might take two. I sort of think that he was thinking, well, what if I miss? I better have another one. What if I miss? I better take a third. I don't want any more than five. That's going to be too heavy. I'm only guessing. You come up with your own answer. But um, someone says, oh, that's because Goliath had four brothers. That's why he needed five stones. How in the world would David have known that? He didn't even know who Goliath was before that day. So I've heard people preach this. So I think it's just very, very obvious. So now verse uh, 43 here. And the Philistine said unto David, am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? Stave? What's that? It's a long stick. And they would use the stick to, you know, slap away the, uh, the dogs that were in, in the land. Um, in some parts of the world, we're down in Honduras and there are these dogs on the roads. I think in the Philippines, there's some of them too. And these wandering dogs and their rib cages are sticking out and they're not, they're not like my dog, Charlie, you know, little Fifi or Fufu, you know, these, these things are nasty and they'll bite you and so on. They have dogs like that wandering around. They would eat junk and garbage. They're like vultures. And so people would often take a stick and, you know, get away, get away, get away. And so here is Goliath seeing David come at him with a a long stick. And he said, what am I, a dog? You're coming at me with a stick? So uh, verse 45, then said David to the Philistine, thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. That's worthy worthy of an underline in your Bible, by the way, those words of David. I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, uh, uh, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied, verse 48. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David. That means he got close. He got in close. He wasn't 300 feet away. He got in close. That's what the word nigh means. David hasted and ran toward the the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. He's probably still alive, by the way, just knocked out cold. Verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. Isn't that something? Hallelujah. This young man of God took a stone and brought down the devil's champion. That's exactly what you have before you here. There's lessons in the story for us. And that's where the comparison comes in. And I want to make this comparison for you because folks, the truth is you and I live in a wicked world. That is the truth of the matter. 
Wickedness is rising. There's more evil, more crime, more ways, it seems, to commit crime, more sin than ever before. Ooh, something chilling. Uh, I saw on the news, I think it was, yeah, this past week, that over in Holland, the Dutch police managed to crack the code on these uh, hacker phones that used special encryption software so they could, the bad guys could talk to each other. The police managed to crack that, and they discovered uh, that they were setting up a torture chamber. And so they were able to swoop in and they uh, found six of these big shipping containers, these great big metal boxes you see that go on the ships on the back of trains and on, on the uh, 18-wheeler trucks. And there were six of them. Five of them were being set up to be used as like a prison to hold people. And the sixth one was a torture chamber. And it had a dentist's chair with all the gruesome tools that the dentist uses to go in there and to torture people. And uh, they're only speculating as to who, th who these mobsters, they were drug traffickers and so on, and who they were going to use it on. Now that's wild. My thoughts of Holland are tulips and uh, windmills and uh, sweet girls in wooden shoes, you know, and people riding on bicycles and everyone saying, hello, good morning, you know, and everyone very nice. That's my thoughts of Holland. And this was a real wake-up call for, for me. That crime is everywhere. And in Canada, we are rife with crime, is what we are, R-I-F-E. It, it is unbelievable, the amount of crime in Canada. And human trafficking, huh? Slavery. In Canada, yes. And it's big business here in the greater Vancouver area and the greater Toronto area and greater Montreal area. It's big business. We're talking billions of dollars in human trafficking going on right under our noses. Wild, the crime that happens. Crime is on the rise, folks. And you have to live in it. And so do I. And God is looking for a champion. God is looking for a man or woman who by faith will live their life for him. That's why this, to me, is a very exciting story. Now, I got a couple of things to suggest for you if you want to jot down a couple notes. Um, a couple of ideas here, a couple of thoughts on how you can be used of God to be his champion. Number one, you're going to need a sling. You will need a slingshot, a humble instrument of warfare, to be sure. In fact, it's biodegradable, isn't it? When you get right down to it, it's earth-friendly. Um, I happen to bring my slingshot along with me here. And uh, the, the slings were, were something like this, a pouch, and then uh, the long leather cords. And uh, they would fasten one of them. One of the cords would fasten to the wrist so you don't lose it. And then they would hold the other cord in the hand. And then they would swing it, you know, and phew, they would let go, something like that. Did that look impressive? Now, you wouldn't believe me if I told you that this was the slingshot that David used, would you? And that David himself gave it to me. You wouldn't believe that, would you? No, of course not, because he didn't. It was his son Solomon who gave me this. And he said, take good care of it. And I said, you can count on me. I don't know why I told you that. But uh, that is somewhat of what a, a, the old sling would look like, okay? And 
you're going you're gonna to need one of these things, spiritually speaking. Archaeologists tell us that these things date back to something like 4,000 B.C. But that's when they've been slinging. And uh, when they put a rock in these things and they let it rip, that rock comes out of the sling at 100 miles an hour. Now, for those who have gone metric, that's 160 kilometers per hour. That's pretty fast. Huh? Uh, so it comes out that fast and it will go uh, something like 400 uh, meters. Okay. Like 1200, 1300 feet. The Guinness book of world records claims that the world record throw is um, what is it? 15 1,500 feet, 1,500 feet. So that's, I don't know, 440, 450 meters, something like that. That's a long way to throw a rock. And so anyhow, they would use these things, by the way, when, when they throw them, um, there's different ways of throwing them. But in combat, they, w- they wouldn't you know, sit there, wind it up. Here comes the wind. He's getting ready. You know, that's not how they would use these things because they had to throw a lot of rocks in a short amount of time. So, you know, they had their rock pile and they put one in and then they would pretty much use like an overhand, like throwing a baseball. Uh, When they're playing uh, baseball, they have those uh, round, hard baseballs that they throw overhand because they can throw them so much faster. 90, 95 miles an hour that these pitchers can throw a baseball. Now, then there's softball. It's the bigger softball, and they do the underhand. It's much slower. So when they're flinging rocks out of these things, they tend to do more of a baseball kind of a a throw out of them. So now you can go home and make weapons and uh, have fun. Well, we're going to make a comparison here because the slingshot here is going to bring back memories. And that's what this sling is supposed to, to represent. Now, if you look, please, at chapter 17, look at verse 34. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went af- out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose again against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Whoa. And so here, David is recalling on memories. Memories of victories that God has given him. And that's the idea. That's the comparison I'm making. You have to think about the, the, the memories. You've got to draw on your memory of the victories God gave you starting maybe with salvation. Maybe God has saved your life physically, maybe more than one time. You've been close to the cliff. You almost fell off, but someone grabbed you or you grabbed them. You could have been all over the rocks below, but God saved you. Maybe you were very sick and and maybe getting close to death, but then God saved you from that. Maybe you were able to share your faith with someone for the first time and it was a gut-wrenching experience. You didn't think you could do it, but you did it. 
And there are so many other things that God has done on your behalf. And these are victories that you have to call to mind. And they will represent for us here the, the sling. But I want you to notice here, uh, Saul, King Saul's response to David in the end of verse 37. And Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with thee. I wonder if Saul had only remembered the victories that God had given him. If this whole story would have been different, it could have been Saul out there on the battlefield with the slingshot. Come on, Goliath, a little closer. All right, come and get it. Maybe it would have been King Saul getting the victory that day. But it seems that Saul had forgotten the great things God had done for him and the victories that God had given him. But David had, had remembered them. And so if Saul had of had of remember how maybe God even helped Abraham and helped Moses and Gideon and, and, and Samson, maybe this story would have turned out better. The truth is that God helps those that, that cry out to him. Now, Saul was a good 40 years older than David. So if David were 17 at this time, add 40, Saul is like 57. Today, he'd be considered a senior. And uh, here he was, the leader. And he was letting a teenager go out and do battle for him. Why? Well, I suppose it's because when you backslide, like Saul did, you forget very quickly all the great things God has done for you. Say, can you remember all the great things God has done for you? Because if you can't remember all the great things God has done for you, then it's one of two things. Well, aside from, you know, having amnesia, I suppose, getting a whack in the head, kicked in the head by a mule and you got amnesia. Aside from that, either number one, you're backslidden or number two, you're not even saved. If you've got no recollection of some of the great things God has done for you, then chances are you're either backslidden and you can be backslidden and just kind of not know it. You're backslidden or you're not even born again. Isn't that interesting? And so one of our most serious mistakes that we make as Christians is forgetting the great things that God has done for us. That's one of our biggest mistakes. We, we forget the greatness of our savior. He's a great savior, a great King of Kings, the greatness of God and his provisions and his protection in our lives. And we forget these things. Oh, ooh. And we forget how also we failed when we depended on ourselves. And we forget that as well. And that's important for us not to forget. We depend on others and we fail. We depend on ourselves and we fail. We depend on the Lord and we succeed. And often we forget about this. So if you're going to win the battle, you're going to need, the first thing you're going to need is a, a sling full of memories. And you need to remember how God answered your prayers and remember how God healed your sicknesses and remember how God provided for all of your needs and how good God has been in your life. Now, number two, the second thing you will need is faith. The title of the message this evening is faith and a slingshot. So the first thing I think you'll need is a sling full of memories. The second thing you'll need is faith. Now faith is going to be compared to the smooth stone here that goes in your sling of memories. 
I am holding a smooth stone. Would you say that's smooth? Does that look smooth to you? All this could be yours. And this would be approximately the size of stone. Imagine getting hit in the head by that at 100 miles an hour. Boy, how much time and all would that, would that take, you know, to cure a headache like that? Like that is quite the stone, isn't it? I got another stone here. This one is also smooth. This one has special significance to me. When my wife and I were visiting Israel in the Qumran. Now, if say, where's the Qumran? Oh, good. Uh, okay. Can you all see this map now? So here we have uh, the Jordan, the Sea of Galilee is up here. Here we have the Dead Sea. Jerusalem is off to the left of the top of the Dead Sea. So far, so good. Yes? Yes? Okay, watch this. The Qumran is right this very top left here, in between Jerusalem and right on the edge of the Dead Sea. That's where the Qumran is. What's so special about the Qumran caves? Because that's where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? And that's where I got this rock from. This came from the Qumran. Don't tell anyone. I have the original stone that David used to take down. I mean, it, when it hit in Shoko, it bounced off his head and landed in the Qumran area. And I picked it up. No one else seems to realize the value of it, so I picked it up. So there it is there. But it is actually a stone I picked up on March the 12th, 2010, 10 years ago when we were in Israel. So that has some special significance to me. And if you ever take that stone from me, I will personally give you this one. Okay? So don't, don't mess with my rocks. Okay? Well, think about it. When David beat Goliath, it really wasn't so much the stone that got him the victory that day. It was his faith. That's what got him the victory. That's why we're comparing the stone to faith. You have to have faith. Faith just doesn't mean, oh, this, you know, emotional feeling of believing. I believe. Well, what do you believe? I'm not sure, but I believe. That's not faith. That's not faith. That's, that's some of that, um, XXX church marijuana, you know, weed stuff guy. No, faith is a firm foundational trust in what God has said to you. And God has told you to do this, do that. You believe that's the thing to do. You may be shaking and scared, but you do it anyhow. That's faith. You see? And so the Bible tells us in 1 John 5, 4, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our, what? Say it out loud. Faith. Boy, we are a quiet crowd tonight, aren't we? Well, we were quiet last Sunday too, come to think of it. Hebrews eleven six. for without faith, it is impossible to please him. Faith says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Now, chapter 17, verse 11, look at this. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Sounds to me like they were lacking in faith that day. Their actions prove it. 
No one would go out and face the, the giant. They had plenty of opportunity. Did you know that a sling with no stone is of little value? What are you going to do with that against Goliath? Well, Goliath, nasty boy, take two. It's not working. There's something wrong with the sling. It's not working. That's not what, what you do with a sling. It's, it's, it's useless without a stone. What are you going to do with it? You have to, it's like a gun, I suppose, <laughs> with no bullet in it. What are you going to do with the gun? Throw it at, at the guy? <laughs> the whole idea of the gun is to be able to pull a trigger and, and have some fireworks go off. <laughs> a sling with no stone. Hmm? It's not going to get you very far. It's of little value, of no value, actually, unless there's faith. In Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said unto his disciples, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed. Now there's a small stone. Ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible unto you. That's why you need faith. You need your sling of memories, but you have to have faith. You need to believe that what God said he wants you to do. He really means it and he will help you to do it. In Matthew chapter nine, the blind men came to Jesus and asked him to heal them. And then Jesus asked them, believe ye that I am able to do this. And they said, yea, Lord, of course you can do it. And that's faith. And that's why we need to have faith. We need to be men and women of faith. That is so important. You must believe that God can do what he says he can do. David believed in God and he got the victory. Goliath believed in himself and he got defeated. So if you're going to win the battle, you're going to need a sling of memories and you're going to need a stone of faith, faith that what God has said he can do for you. He will do for you, whether it be a job or your health or salvation of a loved one, or to be of effective Christian witness or service or a church building. Faith is what we need in that sling. Second Corinthians nine, eight, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. There's faith. Now the third thing, number one, you need is what? Tell me a sling sling of what? A sling of mm, say it. Mm, not M&Ms. No, a sling of memories, right? Number two is what? Stone of faith, right? Number three, you can write this down. The third thing you need is you need a shot. I don't mean a shot of whiskey. I don't mean that. I mean, you need to take the shot. That's what I'm saying. This is the third thing. A stone in a sling is no good until you shoot it, right? It's just going to sit there. All you can do is stand there and twirl it. You need to let her rip. You need to take aim and let her fly. You need a sling full of memories. You need a stone of faith and you need to take a shot. Now, what I'm saying is have the courage to do it. 
Even if you got to close your eyes, let her fly. Don't wait until you have no fear. Don't wait because that will not happen. Because this is a fearful world we live in. Having courage doesn't mean you've got no fear. That's not what it means. You're always going to have fear. But courage is going to go ahead and do it anyhow. Now, some of you fellows that are married, maybe you know what I'm talking about. You had this, this fear inside you that she was going to say no. But you mustered up the courage and you asked her to marry you anyhow. You had the fear, but there was the courage. And you went ahead and got down on one knee, gave her the bouquet of flowers and the little heart-shaped thing of candy. And you opened this little ring box and you asked her, and you were shaking and scared, but courage, somehow you did it anyhow. You took the shot. And the rest is history. Boy, those are fun days, aren't they? Gut-wrenching, but good. And I think we got a gut-wrenching day here in front of us. King David, sorry, he wasn't king yet. Young David, teenage David, and Goliath. A gut-wrenching day for sure. I'm sure he was scared. Don't wait until you have no fear. The presence of fear is why we need the presence of courage. Courage does not mean to never have fear. You're afraid, but you do it anyhow, and we call that courage. The sling of memories will give you the stone of faith. Faith in God. And faith in God will give you the courage to go for it. God will give you the courage to take aim and let her fly and trust that God is going to bring down Goliath. But remember, it may require a little more work after that. If you look at verse 51, it says here, Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine. Chances are, Goliath may have still been alive. Barely. But he may have still been alive. And took his sword, that's not David's sword, that's the Philistine's sword, and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him. He's now dead. And cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. How did they know Goliath was dead? Why, it's when they saw his head. When they saw his head, they knew he was dead, and so they fled. You see how it works? And so will the devil. And he will flee. And mountains will move, and Goliaths will fall. That's how it works. Everyone loves stories of courage. They surely do. Tell you a story of courage that happened just a couple years ago over in Germany. A man came home and he unlocked his door and found the chain. You know that chain that goes across? He found the chain on there. And he thought, what's going on here? Who's in my house? And so he put the shoulder to the door and he broke into his own house. And there were two young burglars, two guys. One of them managed to escape and the other one punched the man in the face. Now the guy was in his forties, not the burglar. The burglar was a much younger man, but he punched the, the, uh, the guy in his forties in the face. And what the guy did was he opened his mouth and 
bit onto the guy's thumb. Oh, like that. You know, so when the, the guy punched him, he like a piranha, he went and he got his thumb. And he chomped down hard on it. Ooh, and the burglar was dancing in pain. Let go, let go of my thumb. And so what he did was he dragged the guy upstairs. And he's got his thumb in his mouth. And gets upstairs like this, see? And this was in, you know, some of these homes that are built side by side. They call them flats and so on. And so he gets to the window and he signals a neighbor because the guy couldn't use the phone himself, right? Because the, uh, the burglar was there. So he signals a neighbor and the neighbor calls the police and he's holding this, this guy by the thumb for, I don't know how long until the police got there and arrested the fella. And they arrested a couple other burglars too outside in a car. And both the man and the young burglar had to be taken to the hospital for treatment. <laughs> I don't know if the man was given a tetanus shot. I don't know. But there's a story of courage. Would you have done something like that? That's a pretty courageous story, isn't it? You've heard of David Livingston, the famous missionary to Africa. And his fame went around the then known world. Great, great missionary, explorer as well. A letter comes to David Livingston and the letter says, have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to know how to send other men to join you. And Livingston sat down and wrote back and he said, if you have men who will come only if they know there's a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there's no road at all. That's the kind of spirit that David was. Who'd ever faced off with a nine and a half foot giant before, especially with a slingshot. That's all the weapons he had, by the way. Why couldn't Saul have gotten the victory? Well, he had no courage. Well, why didn't Saul have courage? Well, because he had no faith. Why didn't Saul have any faith? Because he forgot how great and strong and powerful his God is. Maybe Saul used to sing, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Maybe Saul forgot the words to that song. Hmm? But he had no courage, he had no courage because he had no faith. He had no faith because he forgot how great things God had done for him, how great God was. And basically Saul's life had become undermined by one thing, disobedience. If you know anything of the life of Saul, he disobeyed God several times. And finally, the prophet Samuel in first Samuel chapter 15 has to go to King Saul and give him the news. This disobedience, it's as, it's as wicked as witchcraft. It's as bad as witchcraft. In the eyes of Almighty God, your disobedience is as horrible as witchcraft. That was the message that he gave him. And that's when he told him, God has rejected you from being king and he's chosen himself another man. And that man happened to be a teenage boy named David because he found in David 
a young fellow that remembered the great things God did. And God gave him faith. And then God gave him courage. And so the conclusion of our sermon tonight, we conclude with a question. Have you been obeying God like you're supposed to? As a Christian, have you been doing what God has been asking you to do? Have you been reading your Bible and praying every day? Have you been walking close with him? Have you been shunning evil? And drawing close to Jesus. Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Have you turned your back on the world? Have you followed the Lord the best you know how? Have you been baptized by immersion since you believed? Are you a member of the church? Are you serving the Lord? Are you tithing? Are you supporting missions? Are you learning to be a soul winner? These things have never changed, even with COVID-19 on the world. These things have not changed. Because the truth is, if you are weak in obedience, you will be weak in courage in the battles of life. You'll be kind of ineffective. And it's true that the battles of life, in the battles of life, you will need faith and a slingshot. You're going to need these, but it's obedience that'll put those things in your hand. I write a lot of birthday cards in a year. If you attend this church in any way, shape, or form, once a year you get a birthday card from me. And if you're married, you get an anniversary card. But I write cards to the children too. And I like to put a a toonie in there for them. That only lasts until they turn 13. After they turn 13, they're on their own. They're broke. But up until age 12, you see, I put a little toonie in there. It used to be a loony, but then, you know, inflation prices have gone up. So I put a toonie in there now. And uh, <laughs> I got a birthday card from uh, Natanya. You know what she put in my birthday card? A toonie. <laughs> so I thought that was hilarious. But in, in the, the children's birthday cards, I, I write, well, usually I print. You know, after they turn 13, then I, you know, I write, I scribble in there, but And when they're 12 and under, I print and I tell them how proud we are of them and how much we love them and how I pray that God will help them to be strong and healthy and obedient. Usually I put obedient to your parents, but I like to get that word obedience in there. Say why? It's because then God will bless them even more. God will teach them some great things and they'll grow up to be great Christians if they can just get a hold of obedience. And that's often the struggle, isn't it? Will I obey or won't I obey? David here was a man of obedience. That's why he's so great. That's why we love him. That's why God used him to take down Goliath. Faith and a slingshot. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for prayer? Just before I pray, I'd like you to examine your your heart, your life. Can you say before the Lord tonight, 
that you're following him fully, that you're doing everything that the Lord would ask you to do. I'm not asking you if you're perfect, perfect. If you've never sinned, I'm not asking you that. I don't mean that at all because all of us do sin. But are you confessing the sin right away? Are you following close beside the Savior the best you can every day? Are you doing the things you're supposed to do? Perhaps, as I pray in your heart, you might ask the Lord to help you to be more obedient to his will. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the the blessing of being able to open the book of God and read a story like this great account of David and Goliath. And it's truly more than just a children's story. It's for adults. And there's so much there for us to learn. And Father, we thank you that there, there really was a David and really was a Goliath that fell on his face before David. Our Heavenly Father, please help all of us, all your children, me included, help us to live a life of obedience and to follow you fully, to be generous with you, Lord, generous with our time and spend time with you daily, generous with our treasures and support your work, generous with our, our abilities and get involved and help. And Lord, bless, we pray, this little church family of ours. Help us to fulfill your will and to reach this great city of Surrey with the gospel. Help us to fulfill your will and reach the world with the gospel through the missionaries. Help us to fulfill your will and train future servants, pastors and missionaries and Christian leaders to be able to take up spiritual arms and to win victories for Jesus Christ. For it's in his name and for his glory we pray. Amen.